The Trumpet Daily Program begins right now. Today's world news, what it means, where it's taking us. I bring you the one and only possible message of royal peace. This is a message of hope, tremendous hope. And he said unto me, you must prophesy again. The Trumpet Daily Program begins right now. Well, let's look at if he has a good appeal, and I think that many legal experts would agree that he does, and for two reasons. Number one, this is a statute out of the state of New York that was designed against fraud, but consumer protection fraud. That is, people who did not have sophistication in the marketplace, people who could be taken advantage of by a scam. Here, the president's lawyers have persisted in saying that there was no victim here, that the banks were repaid. And an appellate court might want to take a look at it because it is a way of putting an industry or a company out of business. The penalty is astronomical. And we're really talking about something like $450 million to post. If you can't do that in cash, you're going to have to find assets that will be collateral for a surety company. This is a mighty task for financial advisors. Because all of the penalties that are included, all of the measures that the judge ordered that constrain Trump's business, I think are so significant. Having an independent compliance person, having a monitor, uh, restricting his ability and his family's ability to control the company for some period of time. You know, in the, in the business world, you have to be nimble particularly if you are trying to sell real estate in order to satisfy a judgment. Uh, and now they're not going to be as nimble because they have all of these restrictions. So I just think it's absolutely devastating for a business. But no significant money movements without the advance approval of the monitor. And the independent compliance director, for all practical purposes, will be on the executive level running the company because nothing will happen without the approval and oversight of these two parties, particularly the independent director. For some reason, this judge takes it upon himself to find this developer. Forget that it's Trump. This is not about Trump anymore. If you're a developer and you see this happen in the state of New York, why would you take the risk to put up this much money and have a judge arbitrarily decide that you are in some form of breach of fraud when no damages occurred at all. And this is the same process that occurs everywhere. This is about the competition of states. I thought before this judgment that the number one loser state in America was California, which is basically putting itself out of business slowly and surely. But after this judgment, I'm going to make New York the number one loser state, followed by California, then Massachusetts, New Jersey, Michigan. These are places where taxes are not competitive. Delaware, for example, is now on the loser state list because it's unstable policy on the Elon Musk decision. You don't have to put your money into places where this kind of thing happens. When we win back the White House, we will have no higher priority than ending the weaponization of this horrible legal system that has developed around us. It's a horrible, horrible thing that's taking place. You talk about democracy. This is a real threat to democracy and restoring fair, equal and impartial justice in America. We have to have that because we don't have that now. It's so unfair what's happening in our country. Our court system is a mess. What's happening in our country, they have to straighten it out. All you see is bitterness and revenge and hatred. All you see is bitterness. That uh, sounds a lot like 2 Kings 14 and verse 26, where God, I mean, he looks at what's happening in our nations, and he says it's so very, very bitter. You're listening to Stephen Flurry, and this is the Trumpet Daily. We appreciate you joining us on President's Day. That's right. No classes here at college, so... It was, uh, it was a little difficult to rev up the engines this morning, but we are here, and we're glad that you joined us. You can get to the live video stream of this show at trumpetdaily.com or at our Rumble channel. Just go to rumble.com forward slash trumpetdaily. Speaking of Rumble, we had the Rumble promotion yesterday. Not, not as many views, I think about 43,000. Um, but we did add uh, 170 followers 
through the promotion yesterday. So uh, that's, a, I think, close to what we had uh, last Sunday and even just scrolling through some of the comments uh, from last night. Very encouraging. I guess I should have put them in my notes. But uh, a couple people said, hey, this is the first time I've, uh, I've learned about your Rumble channel. And I'm hooked. I love it. I love your show. So uh, it is great to, uh, to get some new viewers from uh, time to time. It's great to see the audience expand. You go back to this lawfare and the big announcement. Uh, I don't even know the figures. 350 million and all these talking heads saying that uh, by the time he pays the penalty, Donald Trump and all the interest, it's going to be like a half a billion dollars. It's just insane. Like, like one of those guys in the cold open said there, there's no damages. Nobody was damaged. As, as Donald Trump says, the banks were paid back plus $100 million for their interest on the loans that they happily gave to Donald Trump and they saw him as a good customer. But here comes some monitor. It's very similar. Those of us that are old enough to remember some of the history with the Worldwide Church of God to see how that the state of California, they just, they just waltzed into the Worldwide Church of God in 1979 and took over the business and took over the church. Well, God prevented them from uh, keeping control of his church. But that's the way they operate. Someone goes in and says, well, hey, I've heard some rumors. That there's fraud here or uh, dishonesty, whatever it is. One person, and, and then for Kathy Hochul, she's the governor of New York, for her to go around and to try to reassure businesses now that, look, we're not going to come after you. This is just all about Trump. I mean, she said the quiet part out loud. I'll get to that in a second. It's unbelievable. <laughs> the bit, like the guy said there in the cold open, how are businesses not going to look at this and say, you know what, maybe I should move to Florida. <laughs> You've got others. I mean, even here, the state of Oklahoma is extending invitations on out to Trump and or others saying, look, Oklahoma's going to be friendly. You talk about just shooting yourself in the foot, financially, economically, and otherwise. New York, I mean, and, and you heard all the states there mentioned, New Jersey, California, Michigan, all these blue states, just killing themselves. Because they're so full, of, as the president said there, of bitterness and revenge and hatred. They've got so much hatred in their hearts. They can't even think straight. They can't even carry out policies that would benefit their state economically or help businesses say, you know what? I think I'd like to stay in New York. Donald Trump's speech, those clips you saw there, in the cold open. That was from Michigan over the weekend. This is uh, clip five. The decision yesterday in New York, you may have read about it. Crooked judge, crooked judge. He's a crooked judge. By a radical left-wing judge was a lawless and unconstitutional atrocity that sets fire to our laws like no one has ever seen in this country before. That happens in Banana republics, it doesn't happen in this country. The case is a complete and total sham. It's a sham case. There were no victims, no defaults, no damages, no complaints, no nothing. Those banks earned more than $100 million in profits doing business with me and my companies. They were very happy and they testified that way. The expert witness, one of the most respected anywhere in the country, anywhere in the United States, said that my financial statements were the best that he's ever seen. That's not bad. But you get one crazy judge, Angeron, who's got it in for Trump and charging him a half a billion dollars. Like it's nothing. Yeah, it happens all the time. And then, and then no wonder Kathy Hochul's out there trying to reassure other companies in New York. This is from uh, Sundance over at Conservative Treehouse. Governor Kathy Hochul has admitted the lawfare deployed against the Trump Organization and President Donald Trump himself was a specific plan for his targeting. And any other business interests or people within, the New, within New York should not be concerned. <laughs> Don't worry. This was, this was all intended for, for Trump alone. 
It's just like the E. Jean Carroll case. You had the crazies in the New York legislature say, hey, let's create a let's create a law here to where even though this happened, she says, 30, 35 years ago, we'll create a little window so that she can come along now, say that there was some kind of a, 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 a rape case in a department store that nobody saw, nobody knew about, nobody heard. And she doesn't even remember the exact date anyway. But you get some crazies in the New York State Legislature and they go after Trump for this. Lawfare, that's what it's called. This is from The Hill. It says here, New York Governor Kathy Hochul addressed the New York business owners in a new interview and told them there was, quote, nothing to worry about. This is The Hill. Nothing to worry about after former President Trump was hit with a $355 million fine and a ban on conducting business in New York three years. So she's trying to pick up the pieces now in her state, saying, look, we want, we want all the rest of your, your businesses to stay here and be, be assured that we're not going to come after you. No, no. <laughs> just, just the bad orange man. Hochul joined uh, John Castamides on uh, this radio show where she was asked if other New York business people should be worried that if they can do that to the former president, they can do it to anybody. This is the point that Trump's been making for years. He, he keeps saying, look, they're not, they're not just coming after me, they're coming after you. I think that that is really an extraordinary, unusual circumstance that the law-abiding and rule-following New Yorkers who are business people have nothing to worry about because they're very different than Donald Trump and his behavior. That's quoting Hochul. They're very, the other businesses, they're very different than Donald Trump. Well, she's got that right. She's, she's right about that. Very different. That's right. It's a very different standard that's applied to Donald Trump. I don't think we played clip six. Play this one from Saturday. As a result of this decision, businesses are going to flee New York State. They already are taking with them tens of thousands of jobs because they can't subject themselves to this. And if this persecution of political opponents continues, no one will want to do business in the United States of America any longer. We will truly become a third world country. We are going to be, we are already in many ways, if you look at our border, we are worse than a third world country because there's never, ever in history been a border like that. Joe Biden and the fascists that control him are a threat to democracy. They're a threat to democracy. Now, he's not smart enough to know that, but he's got people that control. The guy can't even walk off a platform. There's Trump from uh, from Michigan. And again, the polls continue to show him running away, even though Haley's sticking around. She has to. She's she has to. She's a she's a plant, as one of these uh, articles I have brings out. This is from Axios. Nikki Haley's long shot campaign has a persistent problem. Each time she criticizes former President Trump, the Biden campaign promotes <laughs> the criticism. They had some profanity there. I cleaned it up for you. But anytime she goes out and criticizes Trump, then Biden's people pick up on it. She's, she's basically a, a Joe Obama operative. That's why she's hanging around, even though she's going to get crushed in her own home state and then later in Michigan as well. Fearless prediction on the part of the Trumpet Daily. Axios says the Biden campaign has moved from focusing on attacking Haley to using the GOP primary candidate's words against Trump. I'm running against him because I don't think he should be president, Haley said on ABC over the weekend. The last thing on my mind is who I'm going to support. The only thing on my mind is how we're going to win this. She can't even come out and say, well, if Trump does win, I'll get behind that, I guess. She's, I mean, she said he's senile. <laughs> She's not even thinking about supporting the Republican nominee. On X, Biden's team has also clipped the following of Haley's statements. 
Trump's lack of military service, Trump's losing elections, Trump's siding with Putin, and Trump's confusing Haley for then House Speaker Nancy Pelosi. They're, uh, they're just parroting everything that Nikki Haley says. Finally, it says on Truth Social, Haley is an even more prominent fixture. Clips posted by Biden include Haley's comments on Trump's wanting to cut social, social security, Trump's calling service members suckers and losers, why Trump shouldn't be telling Republicans not to secure the border, and on and on and on it goes. So there's Haley doing everything that she can to serve the uniparty, the establishment, to undermine the success of Donald Trump. Here's one final uh, clip from Trump in uh, Michigan over the weekend, clip seven. The judges and prosecutors that were dealing with me are essentially all the same, different wrappings, tone, manner, but always the same coordinated and overly nasty result. They are nasty. These are Democrats that definitely hate me. These people, they're not looking for justice. They only care about how to stop crooked Joe Biden's political opponent, that's me, and how to inflict as much pain as possible. But here we are. They've been doing this for seven years, and we won. Excuse me, we won twice, and now we're going to win a third time. (laughs) Three times. And they keep going on and on, as I covered last week, about how that he's a loser. He lost in 2018, 2019, 2020, 21, 22, even last week or a week before in that special election in New York. And uh, the crowds, tens of thousands of them, continue to turn out. This article from uh, The Hill, another one from The Hill, about the Supreme Court intervening, which of course we keep our eyes on because of what it says there in Amos 7 about the kingdom's court. That and more, much more, is covered in this book, America Under Attack. If you don't have a copy of this, make sure you call our operators today and request your free copy. There's no cost or obligation. You see the 800 number there, one 866 In the hill, <coughs> excuse me, in the hill it says, in laying the foundation for his sweeping decision against former President Donald Trump, Judge Arthur Engeron observed that this is a, a venial sin, not a mortal sin, yet in $355 million dollars, One would think that Angeron has found Trump to be the source of the original sin. I mean, you just find him a third of a billion dollars for what? Essentially for taking out loans from banks and repaying them. That's what he's guilty of. The judgment against Trump and his family and associates was met with a level of unrestrained celebration by many in New York that bordered on the indecent. Attorney General Letitia James declared not only that Trump would be barred from doing business in New York for three years, but that the damages would come to roughly $461 million once interest was included. So they're out there, they're bragging, they're celebrating. They're popping corks off champagne bottles. Oh yes. It says that makes the damages against Trump greater than the gross national product of some countries. Yet the court admitted that not a single dollar was lost by the banks from these dealings. Indeed, indeed witnesses testified that they wanted to do more business with Trump, who was described as a whale client with high-yield business opportunities. They loved doing them some business with Trump Nobody suffered, no damages, nobody was hurt, everybody was helped. Undervaluing and overvaluing property is a long-standing practice in New York uh, real estate. The form submitted by the Trump Organization cautioned the banks to do their own estimates and the loans were paid in full and on time. This is the hill. This is not conservative treehouse. This is the Hill acknowledging what everyone knows that is familiar with this case. There was no wrongdoing. There was nothing illegal. Everything was above board. 
Trump's people said, hey, this is our appraisal. <laughs> we think highly of our property. But, you know, if you're wanting to give us a loan, you better go get your appraisal. It says here, yet the, the New York law used by James is a curiosity because it does not actually require a victim. Indeed, everyone can make ample profits and still allow for an investigation into repeated fraudulent or illegal acts. That's in quotes. Having campaigned on, bra on bagging Trump on any basis, James turned the law into a virtual license to hunt him down along with his family and his associates. They're hunting him down. They've been doing it for seven, eight years. Trump said so over the weekend in Michigan. This got to change. I mean, this is Banana Republic stuff. We're losing our country. It says further on that the U.S. Supreme Court could, however, intervene. Well, how about that? State courts tend to get a significant amount of deference in the interpretation of their own laws. After all, if New York wants to turn Wall Street into a remake of The Hunger Games, it has only itself to blame as other businesses flee the state. This is, I mean, this is what will happen as a result of these deranged attacks hunting down the bad orange man. It says here, the impact on New York business is likely to be dire. New York is already viewed as a hostile business environment with the top end of its tax base literally heading south as taxes and crime rises. It's really sad to see your country dying. It's sad to see these states dying as well. It says, as James gleefully uses this law to break up a major New York corporation, it is hard to imagine many businesses rushing to the Big Apple. This follows Democratic politicians, such as AOC campaigning against Amazon, seeking to open new facilities in the city. After this week, drawing new businesses to the city is going to be about as easy as selling country estates during the French Revolution. Yet you wonder how these politicians keep getting voted back in. It makes you wonder. It makes you wonder how many of these, even these smaller local elections are rigged. They've just turned everything over to mass mail-in ballots, which, as <laughs> Attorney General Barr once told us, that just opens the way for fraud on a massive scale. Coming back to this this article, it says, the one hope for New York businesses may be the U.S. Supreme Court. Despite the deference afforded to the states and their courts, the court has occasionally intervened to block excessive damage awards. We saw last week, we covered it on Friday's show. That was the show we promoted yesterday on Rumble. But you see what's happening to so many of these people that are hunting down Donald Trump, that are campaigning on that. That's, that's what uh, Fannie Willis came in saying she was going to do. Letitia James, same thing. This other article is pretty amazing from the Associated uh, Press. The title alone, Trump wants to fire thousands of government workers. Liberals are preparing to fight back if he wins. What's amazing to me about this article is, here again, just like Kathy Hochul, it's what these people are saying out loud. Two seconds ago, we were told that the deep state doesn't exist. There's no conspiracy against Trump. They're conspiring out in the open. Well, what happens if Trump comes back? We've got to get ready. How do we fight back? Well, listen to the Associated Press. Former President Donald Trump has plans to radically reshape the federal government if he returns to the White House from promising to deport millions of, of immigrants in the U.S. illegally to abolishing government agencies and firing tens of thousands of workers and replacing them with loyalists. Imagine that. <laughs> no wonder he's so popular. It says here, liberal organizations in Washington are backing President Joe Biden and say they expect Trump to lose, but, listen to this, they're quietly trying to install roadblocks just in case. In other words, if the American people turns out in support of Donald Trump and he wins, he, he legitimately wins an election, 
we're still going to be working to undermine him every step of the way. I mean, in a lot of ways, this is not a revelation by any means because it's been going on for seven, eight years. But just the fact that, you know, the Associated Press, they fancy themselves as, or just a news organization, just presenting the truth. That's right. Objective facts right before your eyes. Here they are saying these Democrat agencies or groups are conspiring. Like, what are we going to do to prevent Donald Trump's presidency from being a success the way he would view it? Deport the illegals, you know, lower taxes, <laughs> and on and on it goes with the Trump agenda. They, they're preparing now to sabotage a second Trump presidency. And the Associated Press writes about this as if it's just perfectly normal. Yeah, happens all the time, right? It says a collection of activists, advocates, and legal experts is promoting new federal rules to limit presidential power while urging Biden's White House to do more to protect his accomplishments and limit Trump in a possible second term. All of that is happening with far less fanfare than plans by Trump supporters to create a conservative government in waiting via an effort known as Project 2025. It says here, the Office of Personnel Management, the federal government's chief human resources agency, will finalize a rule by April against reclassifying tens of thousands of workers so they can be more easily fired. Of course, so they're trying to protect all these federal workers. I mean, this is the one sector of our society that's constantly growing and expanding. Government. Government. If you get hired by the federal government, I mean, you've got it made. So they're, they're putting in places rules that would prevent Trump from firing people. It's just like this legislation the Senate passed a week ago. It's, it's, me it's basically meant to sabotage Trump should he come in and curtail any of the spending that's going out to Ukraine. Setting him up for another impeachment. Yeah, and the AP and all these news agencies just writing about these things like, it's just perfectly normal if Trump comes back. I mean, we're, they're setting up roadblocks now to try to prevent him from carrying out his agenda. We are not that far from national suicide. Die by suicide. As Abraham Lincoln said, Abraham Lincoln, I'll cover this in the next segment, but our founders, George Washington and then later Lincoln, they basically said this is the, this is the great threat facing our nation, not so much from abroad, but from an attack on the inside, an attack from within. And of course, that's what America under attack is all about. I'll have more on this when we come back. You are listening to Stephen Fleury, and this is the Trumpet Daily. We'll be right back. Daily News, Bible Prophecy. See the connection on the Trumpet Daily. Are you feeling overwhelmed by the flood of news and information? You need something to sift the news and bring you only what matters most. You need the Trumpet Daily. You also need something to help you understand not just what's happening now, but what will happen next. You need the Trumpet Daily. Only the Trumpet Daily accurately matches daily news to precise Bible prophecies. Because Bible prophecy is the only tool up to the task of sifting the news down to what's important and showing you what will happen next. Join host Stephen Fleury every weekday go to trumpetdaily.com. And on this President's Day, many say that American democracy is facing its biggest test since Lincoln led the country through the Civil War. And you write that he, you think that if it came to, uh, if, he were, if he were alive today in 2024, the person that he would endorse for the presidency is not Joe Biden, but Donald Trump. <laughs> I'm not sure how that made it past the censors over at MSNBC, but there's an author of a book about Lincoln saying, yeah, you know, if Lincoln were here today, he'd probably vote Trump. He probably would. That's true. 
we're going to uh, pack this second segment with uh, my father's program. This was just from uh, a couple weeks ago. If Americans can't find Lincoln, we're lost. That was on the key of David just uh, a week and a half ago. Not this past weekend, but the weekend before. If we, if we can't get back to the wisdom, to the, the leadership, the strength, the character of individuals like Lincoln or like Washington, well, like my father says, we're lost. This is from uh, The American Thinker, uh, an article on this President's Day uh, speaking about George Washington and Lincoln. We had a speech banquet yesterday, a fine speech by one of our students uh, on George Washington and how that he wasn't defined by his failures. In fact, the lead up to crossing the Delaware, I mean, it was one defeat after another. And yet the tide of history turned because he wouldn't give up, because he wouldn't let his failures define him. It says Lincoln, say this is American thinker, Lincoln saved the republic that Washington made possible. And two remarkable men they were whose wisdom and judgment were profound and as relevant today as it was in their times many years ago. It says here in both Washington and Lincoln, we are confronted with flawed men who made mistakes, but whose remarkable qualities of character were so formidable that they became part of the essence of what we call American exceptionalism. Both presidents readily admitted that it was not their own abilities that made the difference, but rather their faith, their trust, their reliance on God that gave them their strength, that, that opened the way for ultimate success. It says what is particularly striking for both or for people today is that both Washington and Lincoln agreed that America's greatest threat to national survival would not come from the military, or, or sorry, from a military invasion from a foreign power. Rather, America's downfall would come from within. That's over at the American Thinker. And with that, we will conclude today's program with almost all of my father's show from a week and a half ago titled, If Americans Can't Find Lincoln, we are lost. Lincoln had less than one year of formal education, yet I believe he was the most educated man that we ever had in our presidency. He was rare. Abraham Lincoln was a rare human being, and quite a few people then thought that only he could even win that civil war. It was, well, terrifying, and the kind of violence we'd never ever even imagined in America. But it happened. Lincoln's part in it was truly rare, and he was one of the most incredibly deep thinkers that we ever had as a president, by far. He read the Bible from cover to cover, and where he was really rare in that case was he believed that Bible. He believed it. That is rare. Look around and just ask people some questions. They don't know much about the Bible, and that's a terrible, terrible waste of our time in, in many ways anyhow. And yet, the Bible is God in print. So he won the worst war we ever had. Let's look at Matthew 12 and verse 25. Here it says, Every kingdom divided against itself is brought to desolation, and every city or house divided against itself shall not stand. Now, Lincoln said that many times and quoted it in his speeches that a house divided against itself shall not stand. Now, if you look at America and Britain and the Jewish state, those three that are often agreeing on foreign policy, all three of them are bitterly divided in their own country. And I mean it's bitter in the worst way. That is troubling. Alexis de Tocqueville says this, 
Any free society founded on liberty, yet without sacred moral code to govern the actions of individuals, cannot stand." Of course, he was talking about this and thinking about that scripture I just read to you. Abraham Lincoln made this comment, and this is before the war began. Here's what he said, "...in my opinion, the division they had division in several major issues, and he said, In my opinion, it will not cease until a crisis shall have been reached and passed. See, we have to pass through a crisis, and he says, Well, why is that? Well, what lessons are we learning? What lessons have we learned today from Abraham Lincoln and the Civil War of 1861 through 1865? A house divided against itself cannot stand. Mark 3 and verse 24 says this and adds a little to it. And if a kingdom be divided against itself, that kingdom cannot stand. And if a house be divided against itself, that house cannot stand. Now, that's what Lincoln was talking about just before the Civil War. He was talking about these issues and was really alarmed about what was happening in America. I want to read you a proclamation he gave on April 30, 1863, for a nationwide day of fasting and prayer. This great president said, quote, It is the duty of nations as well as of men to own their dependence upon the overruling power of God, and to recognize the sublime truth announced in the Holy Scriptures, and proven by all history, proven by all history, that those nations only are blessed whose God is the Lord. We have been the recipients of the choicest blessings of heaven. We have been preserved these many years in peace and prosperity. We have grown in numbers, wealth, and power as no other nation ever has grown, but we have forgotten God. We have forgotten God. Well, now those are strong words coming from a president of the United States. Can you imagine a president today? Speaking that way, I, I doubt it, but this is what happened. He says, We have forgotten the gracious hand which preserved us in peace, and multiplied, and enriched, and strengthened us. And we have vainly imagined in the deceitfulness of our hearts that these blessings were produced by some superior wisdom and virtue of our own. And here he called for a day of fasting and confessing before our God. In other words, he called upon the people of God to repent. That's what he's talking about here. He wanted us to repent. And we certainly, uh, I think, uh, that message did resonate in many ways. You can look at a lot of statistics, but in the United States alone, uh, once produced 73% of the automobiles. By 1966, the U.S. combined with the U.K. to produce 55%, 44% from the U.S. alone ahead of the rest of the world. There are a lot of statistics in our book on the United States and Britain in prophecy. Surely, Abraham Lincoln did have to uh, understand some of the prophecy of the Bible. Remember, he read it from cover to cover. That's what he did. And we talked about it in some articles that the connection between Americans possessing the fairest portion of the earth is what it says in the Scripture, Genesis 35, verses 11 and 12. It talks about the greatest single nation ever on this earth, and that ever will be, and the greatest empire ever on this earth the great British Empire. And how did they get all of this wealth? He said, look, it, 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 we didn't create this. This was a gift from God, this wonderful wealth that we have.
And that's prophesied in those two verses in Genesis 35, verses 11 and 12. Now, the United States and Britain in Prophecy, our book that we offer you, all of our books and booklets are free, and all of our literature is free. If you'd like to read all about that Genesis 35 prophecy, well, you can get all of it written up very well in that book. Lincoln went on to say, though, that if you look on both sides of the parties here, and both sides of the issues, that he sees lawlessness all over America. And he knew that this was, this was something that was going to be a real problem. Lawlessness. It didn't used to be that way just a few years before, and something began to happen, and it was not a small problem. And he just went on to say that, look, all if we get into that lawlessness, all that is is suicide. We, we're, we're committing suicide to ourselves. And he went on to talk about the great book that he has, and it's the best gift that God could possibly give you. You can prove that. You really can. And really, most of Abraham Lincoln's basic education was from the Bible. And he knew this was something that we need to understand. His mom died when he was nine years old, and then he had a stepmother, and she read uh, the Bible to him a lot and was more educated than her husband. And so Abraham Lincoln was taught about the Bible, and I mean, it, it was done often by the stepmother, and what a help it was to him in that respect. But he just came to know it. Sandberg wrote, Lincoln read the Bible closely, knew it from cover to cover, was familiar with its stories and its poetry, quoted from it in his talks to juries, in political campaigns, in his speeches, and in his letters. That's what Sandberg tells you, one of his major biographers. People noticed that Lincoln did not attend church regularly at all, and you can read this in several books. That was not because of ignorance or disagreement with the Bible, because it was his knowing the Bible that kept him away from the churches, because he, when he went, they didn't teach from the Bible. That's what was happening. Now, Abraham Lincoln had a profound mind, and he understood the Bible. He believed the Bible. He read the Bible. He knew the Bible, and he knew God in a special way. He didn't attend because he disliked people in any way, but that's, that, that wasn't the reason he didn't go. It was because they just simply weren't teaching out of the Bible, he said. Now, here's another quote in Lincoln's Mentors. Michael Gerhardt writes, quote, Honoring the battle was secondary to Lincoln. He had eyes on the bigger picture, talking about the Gettysburg Address. And what had happened to at Gettysburg was monumental, but it was only part of the larger civil war which remained unsettled. The burning question in so many people's minds was, why must this horrendous war continue? Why can't we just stop it? Lincoln had to tell them and convince them. So he was well aware of all of those questions being asked and people complaining about it. And, of course, they were having trouble getting enough soldiers to fight, and that was very hard to do as well. But he spoke in the Gettysburg Address for three minutes, less than three minutes, and it certainly became one of the greatest speeches ever given, by far. Let me read you just a little bit of that Gettysburg Address. He began this way, Four score and seven years ago, our fathers brought forth upon this continent a new nation, conceived in liberty and dedicated to the proposition that all men are created equal. All men are created equal. This was going back to the Declaration of Independence, July the 4th, 1776. And here he was saying, all men are created equal, and they had slavery at the time. But he was about to change all that. 
and that's the kind of leader he was. But he he talked four score and seven years, and he was right. That's right out of the Bible. Some of the Psalms and a few other places. He wanted to bring the Bible language into this speech. What they were trying to get across to the world that this was the first time in in the history of the world that a nation and its representatives had had gone out and spoken these words ever on this earth, to lead the nation in that way. The first time in the history of the world a nation did that, then declared that all men are created equal. Do we believe that? Well, and just how, how much do we love Abraham Lincoln? I mean, most historians will tell you he was one of the greatest, if not the greatest, of all our presidents. We are accountable to his, his history, and he's even a witness in many ways against us if we're not careful. I wrote here, without the Declaration there wouldn't even be a Constitution. Uh, several historians will tell you Lincoln understood that the Constitution was built from the foundation of the Declaration. All men are created equal. And they were shouting this to the world. And what a wonderful statement to make to this world. How moving that a nation could do that. How many times do you see anything like that happening? Lincoln was connecting the Declaration of Independence to the Constitution. He was getting into emancipation, and he says, now look, if we don't Look to the Bible, we, we don't even know what's right and wrong. We just simply don't know. But anyhow, he, he just went on to say, look, uh, we just have these few years. We may live a little beyond uh, three score and ten. But he says, in just a little while, we're going to fly away. We're going to die and just be gone. Well, life is short, and that's pretty obvious to all of us. But I'll tell you something that all of us need to understand, that Lincoln brought God into the, into the Civil War. He brought God into the Civil War, and he won the Civil War. Is that the reason? Well, I think uh, we should think about that and try very hard to answer that. But he went on to say in the Gettysburg Address, It is rather for us to be here dedicated to the great task remaining before us, that from these honored dead we take increased devotion to that cause for which they here gave the last full measure of devotion, that we here highly resolve that these dead shall not have died in vain, that this nation under God shall have a new birth of freedom, and that government of the people, by the people, for the people, shall not perish from the earth. People of the people, by the people, and for the people. Well, isn't that wonderful we, that this is something that is for the people and not some tyrant ruling over us, but letting the people rule through the... the uh, voting that we have in this nation and in Britain and, and uh, the nation in Israel. So this is, this is a message that they intended for the whole world, and they, they wanted to be an example to the whole world, and that is the reason why God chose Israel to be an example to the world. And they, well, I'm afraid we failed that because we are a part of Israel. I certainly do believe that. Again, in Thanksgiving 1863, President Abraham Lincoln made a proclamation of prayer and fasting to express repentance towards God for the many national sins that caused the war. These national sins caused the war. And he's telling them to repent 
of those sins. That's a rare speech, isn't it? And a rare subject to get into. If you look at the second inaugural, it was like a sermon. It was just, and he quoted the scriptures quite a few times. He mentioned God fourteen times in that second inaugural speech, and he quoted scripture four times, invoked prayer four times, and declared slavery a sin. It's a sin, of course. We ought to know that, but nevertheless. When he was talking about the churches, he said, "When any church will inscribe over its altar as its sole qualification for membership, the Savior's condensed statement of the substance of both law and gospel: quote, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and your neighbor as yourself. That church will I join with all my heart." Well, how about that? He just couldn't find them. Very many of, if any. Now that's a that's quite a statement, and that's his quote, a quote from him. See, we to have complete freedom. Well, you have to have some kind of, let's say, what they're talking about is some kind of religious character that will make it possible. The Constitution will not work if you don't have people who have. Real character and faith in God—that it was not designed to, to work for anybody else, but faithful people to God. That's I'm telling you. That he wanted the government of the people, by the people, and for the people. And how many people today hate that kind of government? Well. I hope you can just go ahead and read. I don't have time to get into this, but in Second Timothy two, God says that He has chosen His soldiers; that we are spiritual soldiers, and we have to fight, fight, fight for the truth, to keep it where the people do have freedom and an opportunity to really have a wonderful life on this earth. But that's not the case most of the time. He was a soldier, and look what happened. Well, he got killed, but he was ready to fight like all the other soldiers at Gettysburg.